I am fantasy author Leslie Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello friends, today is Sunday, August 7th, 2022, and this is episode 181 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing is that on August 9th, The Monsters Redefy comes out. It's been such a long time. I feel like, since uh, I had the first idea for this book, and I'm so excited that it's finally going to be out in the world and everyone can read it. I know there's been a lot of advanced copies and a lot of advanced buzz and reviews and stuff, but it's just the wide release and audiobook is coming and I just, I couldn't be happier. So if you are listening in real time, this podcast comes out on Monday. On Tuesday, the book will be out in the world. And I hope that you check it out because I'm so incredibly proud of it. The original idea came from a tweet that I saw. And uh, as I recall, it was a tweet that was just like a manuscript wish list for a Harlem Renaissance fantasy heist. And it stuck with me. Um, I might have written it down or was just in my head as a thing. I was like, that's interesting. I think I might be able to do that. And so as I was finishing up my first series, Earthsinger Chronicles, which is, you know, a long epic fantasy series with four books and three novellas, and I worked on it for many years, and I was looking at what is going to come next. I have a handful of unfinished manuscripts that I was going to go back to, and I actually did. I went back, and I, at some point, I did Savage City, which came out, which was one of those unfinished manuscripts, and I think I worked on one of the other ones, and that still (laughs) remains unfinished. But this idea caught, and it caught hold, and I just thought it would be something fascinating that I could dive into. The other part of the inspiration was the research that I had been doing a couple of years ago on Oscar Michaud. So there was like a publishing opportunity, sort of a work-for-hire type of thing that I had been looking into, and the way I was approaching it was that I wanted to write a story about Oscar Micheaux because he had always fascinated me. And if you don't know, Oscar Micheaux was a black man in the early 1900s who was one of the first black filmmakers. He started in the silent films and then he moved over into uh, the talkies, you know, when sound came to to films. And he's one of the most well-known figures in black film at that time. He was very scrappy, uh, very DIY, do-it-yourself because you know, he had to, basically. He wrote a novel about his experience homesteading in Oklahoma, maybe, I don't know, one of those states where you could homestead. And so he had, you know, been one of the few Black people who'd gone out there and created his own sort of farm. He wrote a book about it, sold it himself by hand, created a publishing company, sold shares in it in order to finance that, and then decided he was going to make movies, and he financed them the same way. He sold shares in the company, and he would crowdfund, essentially, you know, the 19-teens version of crowdfunding to make his movies. And they were low budget. They were, you know, like I said, scrappy. He was he was robbing Peter to pay Paul to do everything for decades, essentially. That sort of ethos and that spirit had always been inspiring to me. And when I was, you know, in independent filmmaking and then independent publishing, you know, him as a figure was just someone I was always captivated by. So I'd read a bunch of biographies, I'd done a lot of research, and that project didn't end up going forward. So I had these books and I had this sort of background information and I was like, hmm, can this be my Oscar Micheaux story? And 
Monsters We Defy and then the current work in progress, which is kind of the follow-up to it, not a sequel, not connected at, at this moment as I'm still working on it. But um, I was like, can this be my Oscar Michaud uh, book? Can this be mine? I have not written and I'm not currently writing the Oscar Michaud book, but that circuitous path led me to the research that inspired the Monsters We Defy. I found the 1919 riots in Washington, D.C., which led me to my main character, who is, you know, a real life historical figure who I fictionalized. And I just made a list of characters that I wanted to see, you know, historical black archetypes, I guess. I wanted a soldier from World War I. I wanted a Pullman Porter. They ended up being the same person in this book. You know, 1920s, I needed musicians, dancers, actors, setting it in D.C. along U Street, which was called Black Broadway. Back in the day, I knew I had to have that aspect in it. And, you know, this just the different research led me to all of the characters in the book. I had a thread on Twitter about Zelda, who is my circus performer character, who's part of the crew, the heist crew in the book. And she is a Black character who has albinism. So, there was a tradition of sort of either kidnapping or hiring black albinos to work in the circus or in freak shows, like other people who were like unusual, you know, little people, bearded ladies, like all that stuff. They would find these people out in the world and coerce them, sometimes actually just kidnapping them, um, buying them from, you know, parents or if they were enslaved, there were all different kinds of stories about that. And so, yeah, I came up with my circus performer character who has all of these circus skills, who is actually my favorite character. And I think she'll be yours too. Stir it all up in a pot, figure out what they're going to steal, work in some African history and some other things that I've just been interested in for a long time. Another inspiration for this book that I haven't really spoken of is the Cassandra Wilson album, New Moon Daughter. I don't remember exactly when this came out. I feel like it was in the 90s. I might have been in high school or college. And I just, I adored that album. My dad had the CD. I stole it from him. I listened to it endlessly. And those songs just kind of sunk into me. You know, at a certain point, I was looking for other inspiration. And sometimes I look for music. And I did create a playlist. I'll probably post the playlist. I'll, um, it's a, it'll be on Spotify. I'll link to it and I'll put it on my website. And there are several songs from New Moon Daughter. Um, but the one that spoke to me the most and that actually inspired a whole thread of this book is the song Solomon Sang. I listened to it over and over and over again, and I ended up incorporating an element. You know, there is a, a sort of a historical thread of Solomon and Makeda, the Queen of Sheba, as she's named in um, Ethiopian lore. And that becomes part of the book. And so the process of of ideating a novel is so varied. It's things that are happening now, combining with things that have happened to you in the past that are like influences of for you in the past. And they just sort of combine in ways that you can't expect or predict. So anyway, I'm really excited about this book. I'm just relieved that it'll be out and in the world. There are events coming up. If you're listening to this in real time, Wednesday, August 10th, um, there is an Instagram Live with the Sister Sci-Fi Bookstore that you should probably check out. I'll be in Maryland on Thursday the 11th. I'll be in San Diego on August 25th at Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore and National Book Festival in September, September 3rd. 
at the DC Convention Center. So yeah, I will be, I don't want to call it a tour because it's not really a tour. I just, I, I was going to be in California to visit my brother and see his play. And I said, why not visit Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore, which is a sci-fi and fantasy bookstore. And I've never been there before because I haven't been in San Diego for like 20 years or something like that. Anyway, yes, very happy the book is in the world. In current writing news, my current work in progress, The Black Towns book, is still moving right along, feeling really good about it. This week, I had to do research on trees that are indigenous to certain southern regions of this country. I decided I was not going to name the state that in which the town is in, so I never say the state, but in my mind, it's Alabama. And so I've you know, picked a region of Alabama. I'm basing my town on a couple of different towns, some of which are in Alabama, one is in Georgia. And so I um, wanted to make sure that I have the right trees that would be around. I needed a big leafy tree that would be like, in the middle of a park and be um, like reflected by this other tree in this fantastical world. And so I just wanted an indigenous tree to the area that would look the way I wanted it to look. I don't know anything about trees or plants, which I've mentioned before. So I find myself going back to, okay, I need a bush for this. I need a tree for this. So I decided to make a list of, I found, you know, a site that says 40 plants that are in Alabama. And so I was like, okay, I'll just make a list and then be able to draw from them. Each time I'm going to have to look them up to figure out what they look like. But that is, uh, I don't know if it's a tip or a technique, but it's something that I do sometimes when I need, you know, I don't want to have to go back and research each time. So like I'll make a list of in other works, if I if I needed food, they would be eating. I would do the world building like in a block. So for Earth Senior Chronicles, when I was writing Whispers of Shadow and Flame, I remember, you know, it's a desert world. What kind of food grows in the desert? What do desert people around the world eat? And so, because I didn't want it to be based on one specific desert. So I just made a list of different kinds of things that they might be able to plant with little water or find naturally. And then I changed some of the names to make them more fantasy-ish. And so whenever I needed a food, I just would go and pick it off the list. So it's similar to what I'm doing now. Uh, sometimes I forget to do that. And then I, were, I will like realize that I'm searching for different plants and trees multiple times and it would be more efficient if I just did it once, made a long list, and then used it in the future. So that's what I'm trying to do. I did that with businesses also. So I'm building this small town. I decided to base it on another real small town. This one is actually Greensboro, Alabama, which is where my father-in-law is from. And I, I did that because I found a map on um, Library of Congress website of the town. It's a it's a, a fire insurance map, but it shows you the different businesses that are on like the main streets in this small town. And it is from a little earlier. This map, I believe, is from like 1911 or 1919. My story is set in 1935. But I'm going to figure that the businesses are going to be very similar. They might be more of a garage than a stable 20 years later. Although in the South, in the 30s, people are still using horses and carts and donkeys and things in addition to cars. So I think we're, we're fine. But like, I didn't realize there would have been a Chinese laundry in Greensboro, Alabama in 1911. But there it was on the map. And I was like, wow. So you think about the, the immigration of the Chinese. And I know 
when was that act? I think it was 1906 or maybe it was, it was the late 1800s where they stopped the immigration of the Chinese. It was like a very racist immigration act that they enabled. But there were already a lot of Chinese here, specifically in the West Coast, you know, building the railroads and in San Francisco and that somehow they've migrated. Well, I know that they were Chinese all over the country because I had done some research for Monsters in DC and there was a Chinatown in uh, the Chinese community. But something the middle of nowhere, Alabama, it seems like a very unusual and difficult place for Chinese immigrants to be. But I can only assume that the Chinese laundry was actually <laughs> staffed by Chinese people. Anyway, I made a long list of the businesses that would be in my town. Because, I, you know, back then specifically, I can think of just businesses, but it, it helped me to have that resource. So there's barbershops. There were multiple barbershops in a town of like 2,000 people. There were like five barbershops. I didn't expect that. Lots of churches, um, which reminded me, like I have one church because my main character is a preacher's kid. But of course, there would have been more than one church and more than one preacher. And then thinking about if this is a black town, the tensions between the different preachers, I don't think my story has space for that. But that's just an interesting thing that I could explore if I needed to. Lots of office buildings. And I was like, in 1911 or 1919, I really should check which one it was. What are the offices that are needed in this Southern farming town? And I didn't find any more information about like what kind of offices, what businesses these were. But it just got me thinking about life in a small town in that time period and what, what you needed to have in order to survive, I guess, in order to live. Now, this was not the town that I'm talking about. The map town was not a black town. It had black people in it, but it was not one of these all black towns, but it was just the one that I decided to to base this off of. So yeah, things like that, doing that kind of research so that now I can have my character walk down the street and she walks past the hardware store and barber number two and, you know, those kinds of things make it come alive. And just on my own, I've, I can, you know, I had a bakery and I had a, um, like a grocery store and just regular stuff, but those extra details, like if I, if she walks by the Chinese laundry, putting that in the book, I feel like would spark in the reader the same sort of surprise it sparked in me when I saw it on the map. And it just makes the world richer and come alive more. And so even in our world, where the majority of this book is set, having those sort of real life details for the world building and understanding what they represent, you know, like... There is something I'm considering putting in the book. There was an all-Filipino town in Louisiana. It was all men. And I can't remember exactly, but they had come through on a boat with the Spanish and stayed there. And this was in the 1800s. And it's like, I didn't expect there to be a whole town full of Filipino men in Louisiana, right? But when you add those things that are real and that hint at a history, a path, a life, a struggle, conflict, you know, all the things inherent in these people who have come here from somewhere else in a time period where they would not have been accepted or they would have only been accepted in certain roles. That inclusion, even if you're not telling the story, even if it's only a mention that this exists and these are people are here, it suggests its own story. It suggests characters in their own struggle. And 
I think that's a really important part of world building that we should talk about more. That the details, like every detail in your book should be there for a reason. Some of the reason is character. Like what does your character notice as they walk down the street? Because it tells about them. It also tells about the environment. It tells about the town they're in. And it also hints at the stories that these other people have. And these side characters can feel like full-fleshed, real-life, three-dimensional characters when you give them that hint of tension. So yeah, one of the techniques that I use when I do this, because I do get feedback that my side characters are are fully fleshed, and I do that on purpose because I want them to have rich, full lives, even if the story is not about them. So if you have this all-black town, I have, you know, there's still a few white people there, like in the first chapter, as it is now, still in progress. You know, I talk about this town has maybe close to 3,000 people, 98% Black. So what are the other 2%? And how do they fit into the mix? And even if we don't ever follow those characters, there's a weight to them. So if we see them walking down the street, they're like, oh, that's one of the 2% of white people that live in this town for some reason. I might not tell you what the reason is, but there's a story there. If I say, oh, this is so-and-so from the who works at the Chinese Laundry, who owns the Chinese Laundry, that is a story that I might not be telling, but like creates a character that like in the back of your mind has a lot going on. I think it was Donald Moss who has um, an article or a chapter in one of his books called Tension All the Time. And tension is not just the main story conflict. If you can infuse tension in all aspects, in your setting, in your side characters and the people walking down the street, inherent, subtle, unexplored tension even. I think it's a stronger story. Also, I wanted to remind everyone, I do have a craft column in Galaxy's Edge magazine. And if you have a topic that you would like to either hear me talk about on the podcast or maybe write a column about because I am starting to run out of ideas, (laughs) please contact me. You can email me at podcast at lpenelope.com. And uh, yeah, I would love to hear what people want to hear about. I also wanted to mention uh, Book Exploder, which is a new part of a podcast. So Song Exploder is a podcast that's been around for a long time, where the host sort of talks to a, an, an artist about one song and just dives deep into it. He has started Book Exploder, which is on the same feed. So it's part of the Song Exploder podcast. I think it's going to have Susan Orlean, who is an author. She wrote White Oleander. And I think she's going to be doing the interviews. So I listened to the first episode, which I think is the only one out, where they're going to be doing the same thing with a section of a book, like a paragraph, which I think is a really cool concept. So just taking a section out of a book and talking to the author about everything about it, like what inspired it, how they approached it, word wordsmithing. They do this with Susan Orlean in her book, The, Li- the Library, or The Library Book. I think this is the name of the book. And I linked to it. I thought it was really cool. And I can't wait for more of it. I'm really enjoying that. I always like to hear a process and how authors uh, explore things. And if you haven't read these books, doing it on just a small section is a really great way to make it so that, you know, you can listen to this and not have to feel like, oh, gosh, I have to read all these books in order to follow this podcast. It really inspired me. It's like, I want to do something similar. Uh, I don't know. when or how that would happen. But yeah, I just thought it was a great idea. And so check it out. 
And yes, that is it for me for this week. So my goal for the week, I will be able to get some writing done. Launch weeks are always busy. Launch days are very busy. I don't know how much writing I'll really get on Tuesday, but um, keep pushing forward with the manuscript. Keep going forward with the revision. I still don't have a schedule, but I've been doing good just trying to get at least one scene, one to two scenes done a day. That's been working, even though sometimes it'll take more than one day to finish a scene, a long involved one. But I'm liking that. It's taking a little bit of the pressure off of me. And especially with launch week, I can't add additional pressure. So keep pushing forward with this book and yeah, just get as much as I, I can get done in the least amount of time I can get it done in. <laughs> so that three times fast. So that's what I'll be doing. And yeah, I will talk to you next week. And I hope that you have a wonderful week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. You can email me at podcast at lpenelope.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. And I would really appreciate a rating or review of the podcast or of my books. (laughs) And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.